it's good to be with you this evening. And in about a week, I'll be going with a team we're sending to Uganda. And what we will be doing there is training and teaching pastors in that area. And what I've been given for that week is to teach the book of Philippians. So I've been working through Philippians for about a month now, learning all about it. And if you'd asked me a month ago, I would have easily told you Romans was my favorite book of the Bible, but Philippians is, is giving it a run for its money. It's super good. So what, what I've decided to do is share just a little bit of what I've been studying and preparing for Uganda with you tonight in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles and would turn with me there, and as you turn there, I'll give you a good little background of the book. So the book of Philippians, as many of you probably know, was written by the Apostle Paul as a letter to the church that was in Philippi. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, and this understandably brought about anxiety and fear in the Philippian church, the believers in this area, their brother Paul being put in prison for sharing the gospel. So Paul wrote Philippians to encourage these believers to continue living boldly for Christ despite their circumstances of life, no matter how good Christ. And what we see in this short letter, four chapters long, is that Christianity is our life. It is not like a get-out-of-hell free card that we may say a prayer and profess Christ, walk an aisle, then live as we may and escape hell into heaven. But Christianity is our life, our whole life. It is our way of living. And we also see that life in Christ brings forth joy despite the circumstances that we may find ourselves in at any point in time. And we see just in the first verse of the book that Philippians was written by Paul to the church in Philippi, as I've already mentioned, and Timothy, his brother Timothy, is with him, Paul's protege. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So speaking of Christianity being our life, just in the first verse, we see that Paul was a servant of Jesus, is what he says of himself there. And if you look down in your footnotes, many of your Bibles will say, also slave, with a little footnote, one beside the word servant. And what that means is another translation for this word servant could mean slave. And it's weird to think about that sometimes and use this word, throw it around, but the way to see it is that Paul considered himself a slave of Jesus. Paul was a slave of Jesus. Wherever Jesus led him, whatever Jesus commanded, Paul was all in. And what we see throughout this book is that as believers in Jesus, our lives should be no different. Whatever the word of God commands, wherever the spirit of God leads, we must be all in because we are servants of Jesus. So, a little bit more background here. Many of you probably know Paul was a missionary. Many call him the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity. So what he did was he was constantly traveling and sharing the good news of Jesus, planting churches all over the known world, and he was often put in jail for doing this very work, and that's where he finds himself here, writing to the Philippians from jail. 
And we see a close bond between Paul and this church. Paul loved the church at Philippi, the believers and the people there, and they loved him. It was one of the first churches that he had started. Philippi was a colony in Rome. Paul started the church there. And the first convert in this town of Philippi was a woman named Lydia. If you have time tonight, you can turn to Acts chapter 16 and see the account of Lydia's conversion. In short, Paul shares the gospel with Lydia, and the Lord opens her heart to believe. So she believed in Jesus for salvation, and the church in Philippi took off and began to grow. So from this point of Lydia believing in the church starting in Philippi, some time has passed, and the Philippians have heard that Paul is in jail. So them loving Paul the way they do, they sent one of their men to go check on Paul in jail to make sure he's okay, to see if they can send him anything, how they can pray for him. They send Epaphroditus, was his name, to check on Paul. Epaphroditus made it to Paul's jail, and he found that Paul was okay. But after the long journey and all that went on, I'm not sure what all took place there, but Epaphroditus himself grew sick. So he's going to check on Paul. Paul's fine, but Epaphroditus grew sick. And if you look at chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, it tells a little bit about this. I won't read through that for the sake of time. But Paul says that his brother Epaphroditus came to check on him and grew sick nearly to the point of dying. And a neat story is where this letter comes from is while Epaphroditus was sick, nearly dying by Paul, checking on him in the jail, Paul began to write this letter to the Philippians. The Lord made Epaphroditus better, brought his health back, and then Paul sent this letter that he had written while Epaphroditus was was sick back to Philippi by the hand of a now healthy Epaphroditus. And that is where the book of Philippians comes from. So in all that, we see a little background of this letter along with the close tie between Paul and the Philippians. And what I want to look at tonight, or look at this evening, is the gospel and the Christian life in Philippians. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus' salvation for sinners, and the Christian life, what that means for our lives as believers in Jesus and the work that he did. And I want to show you that in three separate passages. So three passages in Philippians, one demonstrating the Christian life, secondly, the gospel of Jesus, And then lastly, we'll look at our response to the gospel. And this is a good book to read through, to know, to share with other people, to use in disciple-making. I would encourage you, even this evening, to go home and spend 15 minutes reading through the book of Philippians and filling in all the blanks that we leave out here tonight. But for the next few minutes, the Christian life, the gospel of Jesus, and our response to the gospel. First, the Christian life... Look at chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Now, Philippians has many different sections describing the Christian life directly. But what I want to do tonight is show you Paul's life as a Christian and show you that our lives should be no different. If I could sum up Paul's life in four words, it would be to live is Christ. Paul's life was Jesus. And that's what we see Chapter 1, starting in verse 20 and following. Look at this verse with me and read along with me. Paul says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul says here in verse 20 that 
He does not want to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, but he wants to honor Jesus, whether by life, living for Jesus, or by death. He wants Christ to be honored in his body. And what we see in the next verses is he sort of breaks this down, whether by life, in Christ, or death, he wants to honor Christ. Look what he continues to say in verse 21. Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So the first thing we see about Paul in the Christian life, he says, for me to live is Christ. So Jesus was Paul's reason for living. What he means when he says this, and he tells us what he means in verse 22, for me to live is Christ. If I am to live in the flesh, if the Lord is to continue to give me life, in this body, oxygen in my lungs to breathe and survive and live on, then I'm going to live those days for Christ. Every fiber of my being, every ounce of my existence I give to Jesus. For me to live is Christ. Look at verse 22. That's exactly what he's saying. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. Fruitful labor meaning good works for Jesus, honoring Jesus with his life. We see in Paul's life, that Jesus was his reason for living. But that is not all we see. He sets up a scenario. If you remember in verse 20, he said that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life, for me to live is Christ. And then he says, whether by death. And we see that in verse 21, where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he says, if I live, I live for Jesus. That means fruitful labor for me. But if I die, I gain because I get to be with Jesus. And that is a remarkable way of looking at life, is it not? Paul is in jail, likely facing death. He thinks he's going to be executed. And if you flip over to chapter 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. So just get this in context here. He's in jail likely suffering, probably not having much food. And when he does have food, I'm sure it's awful. But he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. He says, for me to live is Christ. If you continue to let me live in this prison, I'm going to live it for Jesus. And we see that exemplified in verse 12 of chapter 1. Look what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So what has happened to Paul? He's been put in prison. And he says, this is served to advance the gospel. Why? So that it has become known throughout the whole prison and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So you see, he's not just talking here when he says, for me to live is Christ. He's not just saying things to say things when he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul is here in prison facing death, persecution, suffering, all kinds of things. I'm sure if I was in his situation, I would be curled up in a ball in the back corner of the prison cell, crying, hoping for someone to come get me out. But Paul says, no, for me to live is Christ. And here in 12 through 14, he says, what has happened to me is served to advance the gospel. I'm making it known throughout the whole prison that my imprisonment is for Jesus And not only that, but he says many brothers from among the prison have been raised up to belief and are now speaking boldly about the gospel. A great picture of saying Paul's reason for living is Jesus. To live is Christ. But he continues to say to die is gain. And what he means simply 
is that if I die, if you kill me, or I die for any other reason, I get to go and be with Jesus in eternity, in paradise, no more suffering, no more prison, no more hardship. To die is gain. So in reality, what Paul says is I cannot lose. If you let me continue to live in this prison or wherever else, I make it known that my life is for Jesus. If you kill me, I gain. You can't win whatever you do. And that is, like I said, a remarkable way of looking at life. So what we see is that Paul, Jesus was Paul's reason for living, but secondly, that Paul desired to be with Jesus. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Now look at the end of verse 22. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So he says he can't choose which he would rather do, live for Jesus on earth and suffer to make him known or die and be with Jesus in eternity. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. And then he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, but that, for that is far better than living on earth. But he continues to tell us that is not his answer. That is not, if it were up to him how long he were to live on earth, He says he wouldn't choose to die right now because verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So do you see which Paul chose? He chose to continue living for Jesus. He said, so that in me, in my life, you, the Philippians, may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again, that I may teach this word to you, teach you how to follow Jesus, to know him and make him known for your progress and joy in the faith. So the third thing we see about Paul and the Christian life is that Paul desired for others to be with Jesus as well. Do you see those three things in these verses? Jesus was Paul's reason for living. Above all else, Paul desired himself to be with Jesus. And thirdly, Paul desired for others to be with Jesus as well. So then he makes his life, he sets his life on knowing Jesus and making Jesus known, making disciples who make disciples so that just as Paul has so well tasted and seen that Jesus is good to the point that he can rejoice in prison, he wants the Philippians and the whole world to taste and see that Jesus is good as well. So I shared these verses with a group of high school students the other night, and I heard a pastor talking on Philippians 1. He shared these verses about Paul, and then he says, so what do you call someone who lives this way? And I like the way he put it. So I asked the high school students, it was last Friday evening at a church not too far from here. I said, what do you call someone who lives this way, whose life is set on Christ as much as Paul's is? And of course, you know, some of them yelled out, pastor, this is a pastor who lives this way, or maybe a missionary lives this way, sets their heart fully on Jesus to know him and make him known. And here, as you know, we have a high emphasis on planning churches and church planning. Some may would say that a church planner 
is to live this way. You see someone living this way, well, they should be a pastor or a missionary or a church planner. But that is not what we see in the book of Philippians or the whole Bible. A life described of someone living this way is someone who is called a Christian. Not a special Christian, not a pastor, church planner, missionary, but a Christian. Ordinary Christians are to live this way. When reading through Philippians and really the whole Bible, we see that the focus of our lives as Christians, whether pastor, missionary, lay member of a church, our focus should be the same of Paul's, to say for me to live is Christ. And as long as you give me life on this earth, I'm going to live to honor you, make you known, and know you, and be holy as you are holy. That is the life of the Christian. And we see that in the book of Philippians. I'll highlight these for you. I'm not going to read through all of them. But in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, Paul points to the believers in Philippi, ordinary believers, and he says, I want your love to abound more and more and grow with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So we see that our lives as just ordinary Christians, day-to-day Christians, wherever the Lord has us, should be one of striving toward Jesus. Jesus is our reason for living. And then Paul continues after he talks about his life in verses 20 through 26, verses 27 through all the way to chapter 2, verse 5, he talks about the Christian life in the church. And if you read through it, you'll see him saying things like, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And on in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And what we see there is that the Christian life is to be characterized by love for one another, unity and love, striving toward Jesus, unity and love. And then chapter 2, on in verse 15, Paul says, we live in a crooked and twisted generation, but among whom you shine as lights in the world. And lastly, we see of the Christian life in this quick little overview of this that I've shown you, that we are to be lights in the world. So Paul talks about his own life and says, Jesus is my reason for living. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but I also want others to know Jesus as well. I want to make disciples. And then he looks at the believers at different places in the books in the book of Philippians, and he says, you are to strive toward Jesus and grow in love and discernment. You are to live among one another within the church and a body of local believers with unity and love. And lastly, he says, you, even you, not pastor, not missionary, but anyone who is marked by faith in Jesus are to be lights in the world. For we live in a crooked and twisted generation, but we must love them and share the gospel with them that they may come to faith in Jesus for salvation, just as we have. So in this little passage and in the book of Philippians, we see the Christian life and what it is to be characterized by. We see the example of Paul, the the charge given to Christians, and that we are to follow that example. And when you step back and look at these things, you see that this truly is great sacrifice. And back to talking about, back to when I was talking to the high school students, I asked them, I said, is this worth it? Like giving up the ways of the world 
to follow Christ radically, to give your life away to him, to say, Jesus is my reason for living. And to high school students, this seems like a much greater sacrifice, but in reality, it's a huge sacrifice for anyone, right? We want to be comfortable and live the way we want to live and have money and do the things we want to do. So it is a great sacrifice. So I ask you and ask the world, is it worth it to to give up all we have for Jesus, to say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Like, why would we live this way? And the answer, as you already know, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where Paul quickly goes to. Jesus Christ, humble servant and savior who is slain for the sins of the world. He is why living this way is worth it. His blood was shed for us. We were bought with the blood of Jesus. So Paul talks about the life of the believer in the church, his life, and then he quickly goes to Jesus. Look at these verses. So the Christian life, now the gospel of Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the answer to is living radically for Jesus is saying for me to live is Christ. Jesus is my reason for living worth it. The answer is found in Jesus Christ, who though while we were sinners for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we stand before a holy God in sin. Jesus, out of his love, humbled himself, not only in becoming obedient to the point of death, but leaving the riches of heaven. He was in no earthly body, no temptation came to him in heaven with God the Father, but he left that out of love for us, that God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ came to earth in the form of a man, lived a perfect life without sin, spot, or blemish, and it says he became obedient to the Father's will, even to the point of death. And it says, even death on a cross. So Jesus is our reason for living. He has purchased us with his blood by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross that we may have life in him. And that is the gospel of Jesus. Now, the last thing to see is our response to the gospel, or when we share this with other people, we must know their response to the gospel. And Paul, of course, knows this as he immediately goes to, like, what is your response, in a sense? So we look at our lives as sinners and the gospel of Jesus, and we know that not every person will die and go to heaven, but only those whose lives are marked by faith in Jesus. In Mark chapter 115, Jesus says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and our response to these truths should be one of repenting and believing in the gospel, turning from our past lives of sin, 
turning to Jesus in full trust and belief to the point that we say, Jesus, my life is yours. For me to live is Christ. That is our response to the gospel. And look what Paul talks, he doesn't go straight to repentance and belief, but look at verse 12. Looking at a response to the gospel, if you have repented and believed in the gospel, we continue in verse 12 to say, therefore, my beloved, in chapter 2, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So as I noted at the beginning that we don't profess Christ and then live as we wish, we profess Christ with true, genuine, full belief in him and the gospel, and that causes us to sin in sinful ways, turn to Jesus and pursue him. Pursue the Lord in knowledge, in faith, and in life in general. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking to believers here. He doesn't say you're good to live how you want now that you've prayed the prayer or believed in Jesus, but he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continually pursue this God, this holy God who we stand before. And this can sound scary, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we're comforted in the next verse to see that we don't have to work out our salvation alone. And when we truly place our faith in God, we will pursue him. And we don't have to do it alone. But verse 13, Paul continues to say, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that's a comforting verse that we, we see the gospel and our response should be one of faith and repentance And when we're truly marked by faith in in God, in Christ, God works in us and pursues us as we pursue him and pulls us toward him and he will not let us go. You see, in the first chapter, verse 6, it says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, in the book of Philippians, we see the Christian life and the gospel of Jesus and our response to the gospel. Now, I've talked a little bit about what that looks like after salvation and just the area, the the south, where everyone claims to be a Christian, where we live. We we find it so easy to profess faith and, and then live however we may, or maybe, you know, we're genuinely believers, but we sort of get comfortable in that way of living, that we don't want to live as Paul lived, knowing Jesus and making him known. So the last little question to look at for the night is sort of what now as a believer? We see these things. We see Paul's life. We know that we're saved by faith alone, through the work of Jesus alone. So what should our lives look like now? Can we sort of relax and rest? And to that, we've already seen the answer is no. But even further, Paul would say by no means can we relax and rest now but we must pursue Jesus. And here's, he sums it up well in chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have already made it my own, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul says he's not perfect and we are not perfect. But nonetheless, we strive toward Jesus, forgetting our sin and lifestyle that we have left behind, what lies behind us, and striving toward, forward toward the upward goal of the call of God in Christ Jesus. And that is what our lives should look like after salvation, pursuing Jesus, living to know him, make him known, and say like Paul, Jesus, my life is yours. You are my reason for living. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And at the end of chapter 3, we see the reward for this way of living. And I'll read this verse and leave you with it. But the reward for living life for Christ, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this evening, and I thank you for this church and these people and pastors who have been so good to me and so encouraging and teaching me so much in my walk with you. Lord, I also thank you for for Paul and his example to say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, I pray that by your grace and power that me and everyone in this room would have that same resolve in life. God, to say, For to me to live is Christ. If I am going to live on this earth, that means fruitful labor for me. I want to know Jesus. I want to make disciples and make him known so that others can know him just as well. I pray that you would make make that our resolve in life. And I know that is many of our resolves. I pray that you would make it all the more our goal in life to pursue you, God. Of course, to rest in you to work, to know you and and make you known wherever you have us, God, whether that be ministry, pastoral ministry, missions, or a teacher at a school, whatever job we have, wherever you have placed us, God, help us to live it for you and for your glory alone. I pray that you be with us in this room this evening, that we would finish our week well, God, in our jobs and wherever you have us, God. In Christ's name I pray, amen.